Greetings, errants, glitches, breakaways, thought criminals, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever simulacrum we find ourselves navigating at the moment. You are about to set sail on another free first-hour episode of The Melt. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly Melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For a measly five dead presidents per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just click the Patreon or Locals link in the episode notes below to create the timeline that will set it all in motion. It's suspiciously simple, altogether painless, and just might inspire feelings of bliss and or lingering euphoria. So, without further ado, let the conversations begin! This is Hunter Muse. And this is Chris Snipes. And you are listening to The Melt. psychology and psychiatry seem to operate on the assumption, much like most fields of study and practice in the Western world do, that the realm that we inhabit is predominantly material. We here at the Melt see this as being but a mere fragment of a much larger picture that would have some of the most important aspects excluded because they are not coarse matter. So when one of our patrons brought up Jerry Marzinski and his work during one of our monthly Melt meetups, I was very intrigued. He posits that schizophrenics who report hearing voices are actually communicating with objective autonomous negative entities. This is a position that a reductionist approach would never even consider as it suggests the existence of a life form that is undetectable to our senses much less one with malevolent intent that seems to thrive on harvesting the negativity of whoever it focuses on. So I promptly contacted Jerry to invite him to chat, and you are about to hear the results. I start off the conversation by asking Jerry what his background is and what brought him to the subjects that we would be discussing. Well, I'm a retired licensed psychotherapist. I've got over 40 years of frontline experience and uh, picking through the thought processes of psychotics and criminally insane patients and some of the most volatile institutions on the planet. Um, I went to work, uh, started off at the biggest psychiatric hospital and and probably on the planet. There were 10,000 patients there when I started off. Wow. 
Um, I'm a commercial pilot. I'm a certified scuba diver and long distance motorcycle rider. Second lieutenant in the Arizona Civil Air Patrol, where I was, I was assistant scoutmaster. So awarded the uh, Arizona uh, State of Arizona's Meritorious Service Award. Uh, I got an award for teaching abnormal psychology in uh, local, local community college. Um, I got a BA in psychology from Temple University, a master's degree in counseling from the University of Georgia. And I spent two years in a PhD program until I couldn't retower. Now, I currently have a private practice in Tucson, Arizona. You glitched there for a second when you were talking about your PhD. Tell me, tell me that again, because that's important to me. Because I'm on that track right now. <laughs> I, I I stayed in it until it made me sick. Oh, great! <laughs> I, was, I just I could, couldn't de couldn't deal with it. It was, you know, by by the time I got there, I already had seven years on the front lines, mm. and and there was nothing there that was that I saw that would be of any any clinical use mm. other than their DSM when, mm -hmm. when you get on and you can collect insurance, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, uh, uh, it was like going into a pressure cooker and then turning up the handle and, and how much information can you assimilate and regurgitate back to them? You know, and then, uh, uh, all these research tools, I was never going to use those. I mean, I did my own research, but I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, there was one one place where the the head of the department got up and was actually teaching us how to lie with statistics. I couldn't believe it. Wow. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, I rose my hand. I said, "What? Well, wait a second. You're treating that that you know top five percent of the population as if that's the entire population. What's going on there?" And I'll never forget his response. It was like, "Well, if if, if they're too stupid to know what's happening, that's their fault." And I was like, what? Yeah, it just, it just blew my mind. That doesn't surprise me on one hand. Um, so yeah. how did you get into psychology? What was your, like, what, what was the entree for you? Well, I came out of a pretty dysfunctional family mm -hmm. and came out of there spinning. Like, who am I? What happened to me? What is, you know, what's going on in my head? And uh, trying to straighten myself out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Psychology wouldn't have any use. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't of much use. Uh, the most useful thing I learned in undergraduate psychology was basic abnormal when you learned the categories. Mm -hmm. Okay, but they didn't. They didn't ever mention what you did about all those categories. They mm -hmm. were just descriptions. Mm -hmm. You know, they they were descriptions of behavior that they had pathologized. Uh, there was no mention of what to do about it. Uh, you know, the counseling I went through, uh, it, it seemed, you know, except for Rogers, I mean, you know, where you reflect back and the patient understands, mm -hmm. you know, makes them understand like what you're, what you're saying, but the rest of it, you know, none of it really worked when you got down to it, you're working with alcoholics and, and, uh, psychotics and manic depressives and some of these serious, more serious, it's, it's like using a BB gun against a rhino. It, mm -hmm. it just it doesn't it just doesn't cut it. It doesn't work. The first thing I I found that actually worked was the Mace Energy System, and it was uh, it had nothing to do with psychology or psychologists. It was invented by a ship captain. 
Is that M-A-C-E? M-A-C-E, the Mace Energy System. He hit it on the head. I mean, uh, uh, it, it can go in there and it can discharge trauma, lifelong trauma in, in, in an hour in, in many cases. Wow. And it actually works. I mean, the patient wow. feels the discharge. They feel that it's gone. They feel better. Their energy level goes back up. And it's uh, it's just an incredible system. And how did you find out about it? <laughs> it was strange. A fellow wrote me, and I, I get all kinds of strange mail. You know? mm -hmm. he, he wrote me and he goes, uh, I have someone you need to meet. Mm -hmm. And that's all he said. Mm. You know? And I'm like, well, he doesn't sound like a crackpot. <laughs> and, uh, that's a good start and, and, it, and it, he added uh at worst she'd be a jolly old lady you know so that got my my interest up you know i didn't know who he was talking about it wasn't the typical kind of male that i get mm -hmm. and he wasn't asking for anything except me to meet this other person mm. and and it didn't sound like that other person was a patient mm -hmm. you know so uh I wrote him back and I said, uh, what's the deal? And uh, it turned out to be uh, Cherie Hatfield, who was the chief training officer for MACE. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd already read about MACE. I already heard about it. I read all John MACE's books. I was already using it uh, with my clients. Uh, and it was working. You know, there was enough uh, enough information in, in the books that John Mace wrote to actually put it to use. Mm -hmm. So I was going, it's working. I mean, it, it's working. I understood the theory behind it. Uh, I grasped it very quickly. I was able to put it to use fairly quickly. And it turned out that the jolly old lady was Sherry Hatfield, the chief training officer for the organization. Oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. To a conversation, and, and it was like, I didn't know what, you know, what this was all about. And I, I was wondering if I was going to get snookered or something. So I was very cautious. And then I I was like, uh, I was ready to back out. And I think she felt that. Mm. And, uh, you know, she was, they, they were charging a fair amount of money for this, to learn this system. Mm -hmm. And it was already working. So I'm like, why should I pay more money for a system I already can understand and it's working right and she she went well there's a whole lot more to it mm -hmm. um so i went well you know what do i got to lose and we we negotiated a price <clears throat> based on what i knew mm -hmm. and uh, uh we went for it and and there was a whole lot more to it mm -hmm. you know I, I would functionally you know, if I were going into therapy, I would trade my master's degree for this this system mm. because it it works. You know, except for uh, except for maybe Rogers stuff, and and that's quick to pick up. Mm -hmm. But th this works, and they took it to the University of um, one of the universities in Australia and showed them it worked, and they said, "Well, we'll we'll take it if if you turn over the copyright to us." Oh, they went. You know, basically, screw you. We're not right. going to do that. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you'd probably shelf it. Mm -hmm. So they went to the um, legislature, the Australian legislature. They showed it to them mm -hmm. and said, listen, this should be used in mental health centers. This should be used in counseling centers and not, not the bunk that they're, they're working with now. They saw that it worked. 
And then they just blew it off. They don't want something that works. They want yeah. the status quo. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And they, they keep and the, dr- the drug the drug companies want they don't want anything that works more than anybody else. Exactly. They want you a lifetime customer. And right. so where was this in your your career? Like how far had you already been practicing by the time that you learned the Mace energy system? Uh shoot. It was it was at the end of my formal career. So I'd already worked at the, the giant state hospital. I'd worked in mental health centers. I worked in um, the state prison in the psychology department for psych crisis mm-hmm. in I went into private practice after I went into private practice that I've I discovered this stuff. Mm. Is, no, go ahead. Is one of the reasons that you think that mainstream psychology is sort of inept is because it's based in the material world? It doesn't really take into account anything beyond that? Yeah. Uh, in, in the entire eight years I spent in higher education or undergraduate and graduate school, spirituality wasn't mentioned once and mm-hmm. we're spiritual beings yes you know so they couldn't handle it mm-hmm. they they i think it was what william Walter or something like that they got they got to the point where they didn't know what to do with the spirituality stuff they couldn't measure it they couldn't see yeah. it they couldn't feel it they couldn't do anything with it so they just disregarded it and went into the study of behavior you know so you know psychiatry and psychology is supposed to be the study of the spirit Mm-hmm. They didn't know. They didn't know anything about the spirit, and they what they did was did this divide. Well, we'll study the behavior, but you know, leave the leave the spiritual stuff up to religion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and both of them missed the boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Mace Mace has its foot in both worlds. Mm-hmm. It uses the the spirit to find where the trauma was was buried. Mm-hmm. You know, so it it. They consider, you know, it's it's usually considered that the, the human beings made up of body, mind, and spirit. John Mace found the fourth part, mm. the identity, mm. the person's identity. And everybody has several different identities. Mm-hmm. I mean, you may have a, a identity as a, as a student, as a mm-hmm. car driver, as a mother, or, mm-hmm. you know, those are all positive identities that you created to help you survive. Right. Negative identities are created unconsciously during a trauma. Because your attention is turned on you during a trauma. And you don't want to feel that that horrible feeling of the trauma. So the ego comes up and goes, hey, I'll deal with I'll deal. You know, it's still alive and functioning. I don't know if I lost you. Just to, guys or not. Temp- temporarily, yes. Not. Are you are you with are you with us? We notice you're glitching a little bit. Now you're frozen. Yeah, we're having problems with the internet. This this happens every time I talk about this stuff. Something like this happens. Wow. Go figure. But but yeah, the Mace system goes in and it it discharges those traumas. So you'll you'll still remember it, but it won't have the emotional charge. Mm-hmm. Right. 
you know, so, so say you had a, a brutal father, you know, who, who beat you and it was, it was just awful. You know, what happens is the, the ego will kind of bury that. And anytime somebody who comes around you who's like that father, it'll set off that negative identity. Mm-hmm. It, there's a reaction. It's not a response. It's a reaction. So you'll either fight with that person or you'll run from them or avoid them. Mm-hmm. Okay? Every time that thing's triggered, it gets stronger. So you, you get to thinking it's a part of your personality, but it's not. It's like a, a mind virus wow. that was created unconsciously during a trauma that you're not aware of. But it's controlling your behavior. It's controlling your responses, controlling your worldview. So the, the MACE method can get in there and just drain it. It's, it's like a, a car battery. You know, if you drain a car battery all the way down, it's dead. It won't come back to life again. Sure. And that's kind of what, what the MACE method does. It drains that negative identity, that negative energy that's stored in, the, in that pocket. Now, do you know how, I'm sure you do, how John Mace uh, arrived at this system, how he developed it? He, he was a he was a self-educated guy. I mean, he he read everything. He read Plato. He read uh, uh, all the psychology books. He 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 was a, a constant consumer and he, he was slowly piecing this together. Mm-hmm. Now, I think he he did get a master's in counseling, but it took him years to kind of figure out how the mind works. Mm-hmm. And what he discovered was that the mind doesn't work the way that you're taught in school. Right. He says the mind only takes pictures of where you put your attention. Mm-hmm. That's all it does. It doesn't. It doesn't rationalize anything. It doesn't analyze anything. It doesn't speak. It doesn't doesn't do any of that. All it does is take pictures wherever you put your attention. It takes pictures of that. Okay. He says the spirit does the analyzing, the talking, the hearing, the seeing, it takes care of everything else that we're, we're told the mind is. Mm. Okay. Now, he, he found that the mind can also take pictures of emotions and, um, oh, what do you call it, constructs. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it can take a picture of those things, it, can, it, can, it forms a picture to represent that feeling or that construct or that person, once that happens, you can then drain it. You can drain the energy out of it. Mm. And once that's done, there's no longer a reaction to a particular person or a particular situation. It's it's just, yes, well, how do you feel about that now? Well, I remember it, but it just, it doesn't bother me. Mm. You know, I just got off uh, working with a person, uh, um, she she was a Mexican mother who had a horrible marriage and and she actually hated her husband, mm-hmm. absolutely hated him. Mm. Um, and when we were done, it was like, oh, I feel sorry for him. Oh, that was the that was the response when I asked her, think about your husband now. Well, I feel sorry for him. Mm. The hatred was gone, the mm. vengeance was gone. It was all it was all gone. It was all discharged. Interesting. But what's, what was interesting with her is she she heard a voice saying, "Don't do what he says. Don't do what he says." What do what you were saying? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she heard a voice come into her head said, "Don't listen to him. Don't do what he says." Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was, was a. That didn't come from her. Sure. 
Which would be a good segue into uh, another, I know another huge topic of yours um, in relation to schizophrenia and what schizophrenics uh, experience as far as hearing voices. Um, we, are, we, you know, that's kind of like a stereotypical symptom of mental illness that you hear in the mainstream. Like, yeah, they're nuts. They're, they're talking to themselves in an, another voice in their heads. Um, but you posit that those aren't self-generated voices, that those are voices actually from entities that are entering into this person's sphere. Yeah, I don't just posit it. I know it. Yeah. I've been studying those voices for 40 years or so. So when I, when I first got to the state hospital, I went in there believing everything that I, all, all the garbage that they'd filled my head with in, in school. Mm -hmm. You know, the voices are hallucinations. It's due to a chemical brain imbalance. Right. Um, that, that the voices are, uh, when they, when they told me hallucinations, I thought, well, like word salad, mm -hmm. you know, sure. I, I, hallucinations are all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're. They they make no sense. They're just all they're random in nature. You know they don't follow patterns. Um, so I went in there believing all that crap, and uh, you know I was I was curious because nobody ever wondered about what the voices were saying. I didn't see anybody there. There were hundreds of staff at this place. Not a single one of them was curious about what the voices were telling these people. Strange. You know, like, well, what is that? And I, you know I'd ask them. Uh, I'd, I'd ask oh, as many psychiatrists as I worked with, you know, wh what causes schizophrenia? The honest ones would say, we don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know. But the other ones would say, oh, it's a, uh, it's a, a chemical imbalance in their brains. This is the garbage that the pharmaceutical industry, yeah. Eli Lilly in particular, mm -hmm. came up with in the 70s after they developed Prozac. So yeah. they needed some way to explain why their drugs worked. Yeah. So they just fabricated this total lie. Yeah. They knew it was a lie at the time, and then they advertised it, and then it was picked up by Big Pharma, who controls the universities, mm -hmm. who controls psychiatries, who controls the legislature, and they started teaching it in the universities. Yeah. They had nothing to back it up. Luckily, and they've was, thrown all of that out. So now they well, don't. they're still advertising it. Right. They still have advertisements. I just got off the internet the other day. Only they changed their tone a little bit. It is believed that schizophrenia is caused by a biochemical imbalance. Yeah. Uh, researchers think that. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. or doctors, doctors believe that. So yeah. they're still pushing the lie to yeah. sell their drugs. Yeah. Big you know? Pharma but is. Yeah. Yeah. So it has been debunked. Yes. And it's been debunked solidly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they didn't like it. So you look what they did. They first started blaming mothers mm -hmm. for schizophrenia. It's their fault. They did something to to, to the kid that uh, da da da. But you know, they looked around. They were like, hey, "We didn't do anything. What's the deal? Why are you blaming us?" Right. Yeah, you could see that. So they took it and they threw it up and they started with the genetic stuff. Mm -hmm. It's the genes. It's it's a. And then when they couldn't find the gene, then they started. It's a combination of genes. Mm -hmm. So they took it out of the purview of psychiatry, mm -hmm. the medical doctors, the entire population, and and threw it up into this genetic stuff where only a very minuscule portion of the population could understand this genetic stuff. Right. 
You know, they put it out of reach, kind of going, well, you're too dumb to understand the, the genetics behind it. It's right. only these geneticists could. And it's believed that it, it's, you know, it's genes, it's genes, it's genes. They, then the geneticists went, you know, it took them a while because geneticists aren't interested in schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they finally found, they said, hey, we don't see any any schizophrenic gene. We don't see anything like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. After they drug it on for who knows how long selling their toxic medications. Yeah. So once that was disproven, they needed to kick it up again somewhere else that the public couldn't get hold of and, and visualize and see. Mm-hmm. You know? So now it's the biochemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was that's what I was programmed with when I started off working at the big state hospital. But, you know, then I saw something odd. You know, if it's a biochemical imbalance. They would need to know what that imbalance was to treat it. Mm-hmm. I never, ever saw a psychiatrist give any kind of lab test, any kind of EEG, EKG, any kind of test, you know, hardcore test to measure what was out of balance or by how much. So I found that odd. I said, well, you don't have a baseline. How do you know what you're treating? Right. You know, I asked one psychiatrist that and he goes, oh, the pharmaceutical industry is taking care of that for us. They've given us all the information. You just use these drugs for da 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 It's, it's like letting the fox in the hen house. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were listening to the to Big Pharma. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, everybody loved Big Pharma work there because they come in and you get free meals and, and here's raffle tickets and all this stuff. Everybody loved when they came, you know. I, I do feel like there's a, a, a shift that is trying that there's kind of a new guard coming in that's trying to bring in like positive psychology and mindfulness. And there's like a new era in the psychological field that is trying to address some of the issues that you're talking about from more of a holistic standpoint. Uh, The thing I have found so fascinating is that diet is never brought up. So if you're talking about a chemical imbalance wouldn't you be talking about food and nutrition and what people are eating? Because you would think so. The people that I have uh, seen who have schizophrenia or really severe depression, bipolar disorder, you know, any form of mania, they eat a lot of sugar. They eat these highly, highly acidic and toxic diets, and there's no one in the uh, mental health community that's talking about that, that's saying, no. oh, this could be glyphosate, or this could be, you know, trying to go into more of an organic approach towards the food. Yeah, food is important. I mean, they don't talk about that. They don't talk about spirit. And we're spiritual beings. Yes. You know, so basically what they're dealing with is behavior. Mm-hmm. So psychology is trying to deal with the behavior. Psychiatry, mm-hmm. their medicines are to dumb down the behavior. Totally. Those, those medicines don't cure anything. They don't have in any idea what the chemical balance of the brain should be. They have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, they have no baseline. Yeah, they, exactly. They, it, 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 it's just lie that, that they, just, they just fostered on the entire public and then sold it because they had the money to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that the, their DSM is the same thing. You know, it's it's a it's one of the biggest frauds perpetuated on the public that there is. All all those things were were made up. 
I totally oh. agree because what I see with people who have mental health struggles and challenges is that they are desperate to be diagnosed to validate whatever experience they're having so that then they can use that as the excuse. Oh, well, I have this, so this is why I'm an asshole, <laughs> basically, yeah, for instance. instead of yeah. dealing with the real issue. Uh, so how do how do you you're still seeing patients? Yeah. How do you approach someone who comes in who seems very deeply invested in their story and they're very invested in whatever diagnosis this someone along the way has given them? I just ignore all that. I love I it. I just completely <laughs> circumvent it. I love it. Yeah. But yeah, these the, the they started off with uh, what, what was it? Like, like uh, in 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 the in the fifties, they had like Valium, yeah. Quaaludes. Yeah, first it was Valium, yeah. Quaaludes. So, so they had like uh, oh, what forty five or fifty diagnoses. Mm -hmm. Now they're now they're it's two hundred ninety seven. Yeah, Jeez. You know, all of them fabricated. You know, they were dreamed up by a group of psychiatrists. In these meetings, and they vote these in and out. Mm -hmm. You know, if the, if they don't like them or they're not working for them, they vote them in and out. Yeah. So once once one honest psychiatrist said every single one of these mental illnesses were fabricated by breaking up segments of human behavior and pathologizing. Mm -hmm. There are no blood tests. There are no lab tests. There's no X-rays. There's no EEGs to validate a, even a single one of these diagnoses. They're just classes of behaviors that a group of psychiatrists have voted to be a mental disorder. And then they give them a, an impressive number. I mean, that you open that book and it looks impressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's all these descriptions and sub-descriptions and, and variations. And, um, you know, it, it looks like they know what they're talking about. thing is, they're all made up. There's no test for any of them. A, a, a quote for the, this is a network against psychiatric assault, says the following, the new diagnostic Bible of psychiatry, the DSM-5, labels almost all human emotion mm -hmm. as a mental illness, mm -hmm. a child who talks back, a man who spends too much time on the internet, mm -hmm. a woman who grieves the death of her husband or child for more than two weeks, mm -hmm. are all labeled as mentally ill mm -hmm. and told they need to be drugged. Unhappiness is labeled as depression. And people are encouraged to numb themselves with drugs instead of dealing with life situations that are causing their unhappiness. Over two-thirds of the psychiatrists who wrote the DSM-5 had financial ties to the drug industry. Which you is know? kind of ironic because simultaneously we are, um, there's a whole... <laughs> movement of mental illness now, um, what used to be titled gender dysphoria, is now, uh, it's a whole different reality, a whole different subset of behavior and, I think, mental illness that is being seen as something else, is being accepted as a, as a, as a lifestyle choice, almost, as gender affirmation. While they discount the real things, like they, they, they call natural reactions to life events mental illness, but they are taking this particular mental illness and sort of deifying it into something that, I don't know, it's, I, I didn't even know the words to describe it, but a movement to get kids uh, 
permanently addicted to the pharmaceutical industrial uh, complex. Yeah, it's sick. Yeah, it's very strange. And I have to say, US are, are on, on psychotropic meds now. It's a horrendous number. They do, they, they make up what they want. They make up, here, this, these are diagnoses that are actually in the DSM. I guess if you don't like caffeine intoxication disorder, mm -hmm. sibling relational disorder, mm -hmm. it's, it's homosexuality. Mm. Other than that, it's Lawrence syndrome, being Lawrence, Italy. Symptoms include fainters with antidepressant drugs. These people are bizarre. Ferris syndrome. Mostly Japanese patients visiting France. Symptoms include depression, anxiety, feelings of persecutions, which before the DSM would have been labeled cultural shock. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're bizarre. Yeah, They just bizarre. make these things up. Well, I was talking to one of my uh cohorts who has a professor who was a clinical psych and he said to her that he would use the dsm-5 to get people treatment and that he would basically change people which i mean this to me this sounds so it's a violation of any type of a oath that you have taken to do no harm, but he said yeah. that he would change the diagnosis so that this person's uh, whatever treatment that he was offering them would be covered by the DSM-5. So I think that when you have this, this related procedure. Exactly. So when you have a relationship with an insurance company and with big pharma, then how are you possibly going to treat someone when the interests that you truly have are not for this patient? It's to placate these two leviathans and make sure that they're happy and that they're not investigating you. So just as long as you keep that machine going and spitting people back into the system, they're fine. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've ever spent any time working in private psychiatric hospitals, but that's kind of what they do. It's a, it's a drug-fueled merry-go-round. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, these people come in, the, the, the side effects of these medications are awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody in their right mind would take this as a recreational drug. Mm -hmm. But yet the psychiatrists are demanding that they have control over, over those drugs. You have to come to them to get them. Yes. So you've got to pay their fee. You know, and then you have to pay for the drugs. Now, yeah. it costs you know seven to eight hundred dollars for a month's supply of any psychotic drug here in the U.S. Mm. You go across the border, sixty miles south of here to Mexico, you can get those same drugs for seventy-five dollars, and they're still making a profit on those. Mm. And you don't have to go to a psychiatrist to get them. You can go to a psychiatrist the first time; he'll diagnose you. Said, "Okay, I recommend this." Mm -hmm. Okay, you go. Okay, fine. You run out. You go back to the pharmacy and you get more. But not here in the U.S. No, you've got to pay the druggist. You've got to pay the, the, the psychiatrist, you know, his office fee. Mm -hmm. You've got to get the, the prescription. And you got to keep coming back, coming back, get milked and milked. 
and and what they do in this in the private psych hospitals is yes they'll put the, put them on the drugs, give them a two week supply, and say okay you know go see your psychiatrist or go see your insurance company and and get these refilled, and then they get they go off them again because. The side effects are horrific. Mm -hmm. They're actually toxic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, they're some of the most dangerous drugs that are used in medicine today. Absolutely. So they go off, they go off them, they go psychotic again, they come back in, they hold them for as long as the insurance holds out. Mm -hmm. Once the insurance runs out, then they just charge them that same day with the medicines again. And it's just this revolving merry-go-round with each time they fleece them for 10,000 bucks or so every time it comes around. And, you know, it may not, it's the taxpayer who's paying it. It's the government who's paying it. It's the insurance companies who's paying it. But that's one of the reasons healthcare costs are so astronomically high. Mm -hmm. This is a fleecing machine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. They, they, they don't want it to change. They don't want a cure for schizophrenia. Absolutely. Billion dollars. Billion. Dollars a year, product drugs. Drugs don't fix anything. No. They don't even get rid of the voices. No, they give you new. But they got the entire population brainwashed to believe that this is the only treatment there is. Exactly. Well, and and then you add on top of that the homeless population and how that is intrinsically related to people that have mental health issues. And I think what's really sad about that is that a lot of the people that are out on the street have some form of, of mental illness that is going untreated because the treatment is actually making them worse. So yeah, you got you got that and they closed down all the state hospitals all over the US. Oh God. Started in California with Proposition 13 and just snowballed all the way through. The excuse they said is, well, they need to be around a more normal population, but they wouldn't take their meds when they were in the hospital. What makes them think that they're going to go out of their way to take them when they get out? Well, the, in not. the intention was that local communities would then take up the slack. And so people who were in mental health facilities, state-run facilities, when they basically opened the doors and kicked these people out. I remember when it happened. It started in yeah. the 70s, but it really ramped up in the 80s. And I remember when it happened, I lived down the street from a state-run facility, and it was the dead of winter. And they literally wheeled people out in wheelchairs, closed and locked the doors, and just left these people outside it was so inhumane and these people had nowhere to go they didn't know where to go it was the saddest thing i saw to see someone who had been inside a facility confused and and not knowing not really understanding that 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 wasn't where they were staying anymore like they just didn't understand what was happening so they did it to that many thousands they did it to and, and a lot of these schizophrenics, they couldn't work. You know, they couldn't work. They couldn't hold down a job. So in order to survive, they had to either steal or sell drugs. So what they did in order to, they did that to save money. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to pay for these institutions. But where did these guys end up? They ended up in the prison, mm -hmm. costing them twice as much in the prison. Does that make any sense? 
and then they brutalize them in prison mm. in, in an abnormal psychotic mm -hmm. population with of these these criminals and psychopaths mm -hmm. and then they, they 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 hold them there for 10 20 years and then they release them on the public mm -hmm. in much worse shape than they ever went in now, does that make sense? No, this Not is bullcrap. Yeah, for sure. That's a polite way of putting it. Yeah. I would like to get back to the voices, the phenomenon of the voices, because I think this is a perfect example of uh, the psychiatric industry completely missing the point of all of this and proving how they are based in materialism because they don't recognize, as you have and have proven and have been studying for decades, that these voices are coming from outside, not inside, and that they're entities. Um, so I would like to, to go more into that because that's sort of what brought me to you in the first place. One of our patrons behind uh, uh, behind the paywall, we have discussions every every month. Somebody brought your name up in the research that you do, and that's the vo the the situation with the voices and the schizophrenics was something that I found so compelling. So if we could go into that, uh, I would love to hear more about that. Yes. So, yeah, well, coming out of graduate school, I was, I was brainwashed like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Voices are hallucinations. Yeah. You know, they didn't let us get near a, a, a psychiatric. How about your? Go into a state hospital. You know, we were suck up all the crap that they were telling us and then spit it out. Yes. You know, and that didn't wash well with me. I never trusted authority. I never did. So here I am, four years undergraduate, sucking in everything they had to say and then spitting it back out to master. At least they let us work in the prison in the master's degree, but not with the mentally ill prisoners. Mm -hmm. you know, basic counseling skills, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So here's, here's six years and you still don't have contact with clinical population mm -hmm. but you have to have a master's degree to do it to work there so i get there and it's it's like nothing like i'd ever been prepared for um what i noticed is that the the, the voices didn't appear to be word salad i mean these people were carrying on coherent conversations with somebody or something that i couldn't see Mm -hmm. So it was like listening to, to a part of a phone conversation where you could hear the person talking, mm -hmm. but you couldn't hear who was speaking back. Right. You know? So I remember, I remember in undergraduate school, uh, in, in uh, abnormal psychology, a paper written by a clinical psychologist who they made us read it. Mm -hmm. It said if two, two psychotics met each other and they had the same delusion, you know, if both of them thought they were Joe Biden. One of them would have to change, and and take a different delusion. And I remember, what, what, what sense does that make? They're both crazy. Well, why would one have to change to the other? I mean, it made no sense to me. Mm -hmm. But here was a PhD who wrote this thing, a clinical psychologist. I found out later that eighty percent of what psychology publishes is garbage. <laughs> they did a research study on it. It's and and, and it's publisher parish. Mm -hmm. you know, they have to publish. So they just publish all kinds of garbage. 80% mm -hmm. of it is trash. <laughs> so I remembered that. And uh, I was doing rounds on the second floor of a psych unit once I got to work at the state hospital. And here's this guy carrying on a conversation with somebody I didn't see, you know, arguing with them, talking to them. 
and, you know, like stopping and waiting for them to respond and then talking again. Mm -hmm. So I crept up behind him and, uh, you know, tried to listen to what he was saying. And uh, he caught me. So I introduced myself. So, yeah, I'm Jerry. I'm the site for this unit. Um, I haven't seen you before. I mean, what's your name? And he looks at me and he goes, I'm Jesus Christ. And I looked him in the eye and I said, no, no, I'm Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I just sat there and go, okay, what's he going to do? You know, that I remembered mm -hmm. all the way back to the, the undergraduate the days. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting there on pins and needles, like waiting. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And he's thinking about it. Then he looks up, you can see his eyes roll in his head. And he's like considering the situation. And then he comes to a conclusion. He looks at me and goes, we can both be Jesus Christ. And he walks off. <laughs> and I went, what else did they lie to me about? Yeah, you know, exactly. What else? Because you know, you can't tell. I mean, there's no way to verify all that junk they're feeding you in undergraduate psychology. You you can't verify it. It's like, oh, just believe us. Yeah, you know, take we're it at face value. Just believe. That didn't go over well with me. I never liked that. You know, so that was the first thing I saw. And then when I saw the uh, them not taking any kind of baseline, it's like. Okay, if you don't have a baseline, how do you know what what's out of balance by how much? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It was it was a flaming lie, mm -hmm. you know. And they had perpetuated this on everybody, including all the psychiatrists, including all the graduate students, including the entire population. And they're still pushing it, even though they know it's a lie. They're still pushing it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I got to wondering what what are the, these voices are telling these people. You know, nobody knew. Nobody was interested. Nobody was in. They had. They didn't have the least bit curiosity. Mm -hmm. So I started asking them. You know, and and it, I saw that they 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 started running patterns. You know, and one of the first patterns was they were all negative. They were mm -hmm. completely consistently negative. Mm -hmm. You're no good. You're rotten. You nobody likes you. You're a mm -hmm. piece of crap. Uh, da, da, da. It was consistently negative. Mm -hmm. And and when I found that out with one. There was no lack of schizophrenics at the state hospital. I had sure. all I wanted, you know, so I would go to another one. Hey, is this true? You know, does this happen to you too? One after another, after another, after dozens. And when they all agreed that happened, I'd put it down as a pattern, you know, and I'd still, still do it. But one, one thing that happened interesting is one time the voices don't want you asking questions about them. Right. You know, I, didn't, I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I found that out years later. Mm -hmm. They do not want you asking questions about what they're saying, what they're doing, who they are, what they are, how they operate. Right. They, they want no part of that. So I was asking this one patient about them, and the voices got hacked off. And he went to one of the psychiatrists and said, he's upsetting me. He's asking me about my voices, and I, I got upset. Mm -hmm. I got called up into the psychiatrist's office. This happened twice while I was working at the state hospital. And I was I was told... The voices are hallucinations. You know, when you ask questions about them to patients, you're only reinforcing those hallucinations and you're making them worse. This is what they told me. I knew that was bunk at the time, mm -hmm. you know, but they ordered me not to ask questions about the voices. They didn't want anybody even looking into it. Mm. You know, so I had to be real careful there. But patterns started to emerge. And one of the first was negativity. Mm -hmm. And since they're consistently, persistently negative, the question I had was, 
what holds them onto a negative pattern? Why aren't they, why aren't they scattered? Why, mm -hmm. why aren't they random like yeah. all other hallucinations? Mm -hmm. Why are they persistently negative? What holds them on that course? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. You know, it reminded me of, uh, what was it? The enemy below where the, uh, the destroyer was chasing the U-boat. Mm -hmm. And every time he'd lose the U-boat, he'd go back on the same court, course the U-boat was on in the first place and pick him up again. It was like the same thing. They always return to the negativity. You know, they, they say horrible things to these patients. You're no good. You're worthless. You're stupid. You're ugly. You'll never amount to anything. Every rotten thing that you can imagine is what these voices are telling these patients. Yeah. And the trick is they sound just like the patient's thoughts. There's no difference. It's not like right. you're ugly or you're stupid. They yeah. sound just like the thousands of other thoughts that go through the patient's head sure. every day. Only they, they have a totally different intent. And we're told from the time we're born that any thought that has it comes into your mind belongs to you. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's that's dead wrong. Right. That's dead wrong. Every negative thought about yourself or anybody else comes from the dark side. So, Jerry, could you get any of your patients to describe the sound of the voice? D did it have, like, another voice other than their own voice? No. 98% of the time, it doesn't sound like anything except their regular thoughts. Interesting. In some cases, it sounds different, mm -hmm. you know. But see, that's one of the biggest problems they have is what are the voices? Mm -hmm. yeah. Now you got psychiatry and the medical establishment saying they're hallucinations. Right. They have no evidence for that whatsoever. They just went, we're the, we're the high priests of psychiatry. We say they're hallucinations. So you believe it. Fuck. They have no research into that. Right. They haven't done any research on the voices. Well, and what's going to research a hallucination. What's going to reinforce that is if it doesn't sound like something different. If it doesn't sound like your mother or your or a demon or something, then they're going to say, of course, this is a hallucination. It's this person's voice that's speaking. Well, they can mimic any any person they want. So they can mimic the, the person's mother. Wow. You know, and, and they know that since, since they have access to the person's memory, mm. they can pull up every rotten thing these people done. Because uh -huh. these voices are energetic. Your thoughts are energetic. Your yes. feelings are energetic. Your intuition is energetic. It's all energy. It's not, it's not a physical thing. These voices, schizophrenia is an energetic, spiritual problem. It's not a, it's not a biological. Yeah. So what, what these people are doing, it, it's like if you have a magnet with a big magnetic field, you can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't talk to it. For all practical purposes, as far as you're concerned, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Right. You get a bottle of iron filings and, and you, you put it on there. Now you can see the patterns. Right. So uh, I've got 30 patterns that these things run that are consistent. They're anti-religious. They hate the 23rd Psalm. You repeat the 23rd Psalm, the voices go nuts. They can't stand it. Psalm 91, they can't stand it. They don't like the Bible. They don't like the person praying. They don't like them going to church. They don't like preachers. They don't like anything to do with religion. And it's not just Christianity. It goes for the Muslims too. You know, it goes for any positive religion. Why would a hallucination be anti-religious? Mm. And see, these are things you can see for yourself. Anybody who's working around schizophrenics can see this for themselves. 
It's not hidden up in genetics or biochemistry. Mm -hmm. It's right in front of their eyes. All they got to do is open their eyes and look. Well, and it's just because of the umbrella that they put it under, they just they just stop paying attention to it. They just go, oh, it's an hallucination. So then they don't even they don't, they don't even look further than that. No, they don't. And it's worse than that because basically by saying it's a hallucination, they're saying there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Only we can deal with it, with our pills. The gatekeepers. You know, don't you even try. You don't know how to deal with hallucinations. We're the guys who do that. Yes. So Take Jerry, our pills. Jerry, do you think it's like a radio dial that these demons are able to tune in to someone and then once they tune into that frequency that's when they get the download of who this person is and what their life experience is so they know what button to push well that's pretty close that's pretty close to true what i've seen is that it's trauma that breaks the person to start with right the trauma it's massive physical emotional or sexual trauma that cracks the person open, and mm. then they can get in from there. Mm-hmm. Or, or the use of meth. I've seen more prisoners go go psychotic on meth mm-hmm. than any other drug. Hmm. You know, number one psychotic on cocaine, but meth was number one. The prisoners called meth the devil's drug. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a very low frequency. These things are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, they're very low frequency. So. It, it's almost like they stick the dial, the radio dial, they stick it at a low frequency and you try to put it to something else and they turn it back. Wow. So you, you, there's this, obviously there's this constant feed of negativity that comes from these entities, but you also mentioned witnessing these conversations that happen. Uh, what was, what, 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 on your side, what was being said back and forth? Obviously this thing wasn't conversing by going, you know, you're a piece of shit. And then the, you know, the person is responding to that. What are they conversing about? Is it? Well, I have some, I can go pull them up. I think I may, I may even have them here. I have some conversations that I had with those things. Uh, so what I did when I, I couldn't do this at the state hospital, uh, cause they were watching me too closely. So I had mm-hmm. to be very careful there. But once I got to the prison, what I did was got a, uh, a handful of prisoners who had agreed with me that they would tell me in real time what their voices were telling them while we were in session. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I always had maybe 10 or 13 of them around, mm. you know, and I'd spend hours in there with them. You know, um, I can go, I can go look you up some of those conversations. Yeah. If you, want. If, you if you are up for doing that, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, hold on. Sure. But you know, sure. These, there's like 30 of these patterns. I want to hear them. Yeah. Well, okay. After I go through these, because okay, good. You can go. You you can go to my website at jerrymarzinski.com, and they're all there. Okay, Okay. great. They 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 foster and create negative emotion. That's what they feed off of. Mm -hmm. They can't make it themselves. Ah. So you know, we're we're told that we're the top of the pecking order. No, we're not. These things are feeding on all of us. They're feeding on schizophrenics more than anybody else, but mm, they're sure. getting all of us. Mm. You know, there's, there's, uh, I remember a preacher told me he was standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and he, he heard a voice and it said, it's a jump. You know, a number of people said they were driving their car and they go, I wonder what would happen if I turned the wheel into oncoming traffic. Mm. You know, those are all thoughts coming in from outside. They wow. don't belong to you. you know? And that's what the, the schizophrenics are struggling with. What are these voices? Where do they come from? So they, if they believe psychiatry, that's the worst possible mm-hmm. choice. 
Yeah. You know, they're, they're told they're hallucinations. There's nothing they can do except take these poisonous toxic meds. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. There's a third, the second group that says, I don't know what they are. They're not sure what they are. They got a chance. The ones who have the biggest chance of, of recovering are the ones that go, they're demons. They're mm -hmm. not me. Wow. You know, they have the largest chance. So these things foster and create negative emotion, anger, anxiety, paranoia, guilt, and shame. And they do this by inserting thoughts into the person's thought stream. Mm -hmm. Those thoughts sound just like the other thousands of other thoughts that the person has every day. There's usually no change in timbre or pitch. It's just all of a sudden, you're a piece of crap, or you shouldn't have said that, or you did something to offend this person, or those people are laughing at you. Anything they can put in there that will create that negative emotion. And then they energetically drain those people. You know, you, you can talk to schizophrenics and ask them, how much energy do you have before the voices come? How much energy do you have after they leave? Mm. They will consistently tell you after the voices come and leave, they're drained. Mm. Some of them said they've drained so badly that they feel like they were working out in the hot sun all day. Wow. Okay? And these are consistent patterns. If they're running patterns, they can't be hallucinations. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what psychiatry is telling the entire planet is a bunch of crap. Mm -hmm. They have no evidence for it. It's just their proclamation is the high priest of psychiatry. There's nothing to it. It's garbage. It fosters their dependence on, on psychiatry exactly. and drugs yes. and the pharmaceutical industry. They, the voices get louder after sunset. You know, once the sun sets, they get louder. You can see that in the old folks' home. They call it sundowner syndrome. Mm. They, they get crazy after sunset. They fight with each other. They get boisterous. They get uncontrollable. They get louder when ignored. So I've heard psychiatrists tell patients, I don't know how many times, oh, just ignore them. They're hallucinations. Just ignore them. I, I remember the first time I asked the patient, I saw the psychiatrist do that. The guy was on my case. So I called him back a week later. I said, hey, uh, the, the psychiatrist told you to uh, ignore your voices. How's that working for you? He said, it's not. He said, mm. they get louder and more persistent. And then I went and asked all the rest. You know, what happens when you ignore your voices? Mm -hmm. Every single one of them said they get louder. They get more persistent. They will not be ignored. You can't ignore them successfully. They foster self-destructive behavior. They're always getting these people to shoot themselves in the foot. At the state hospital I was at, they, they had a vocational school that they were trying to teach these people like low-level level skills, you mm -hmm. know, janitorial service and, you know, basic auto repair and hairdressing, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. With schizophrenics, what I noticed is as they were about to succeed, they would do something to sabotage themselves and fail. They would get thrown out of class. They would stop studying. They would not take their tests. They would, they, they would do something to, to get them thrown out of class. They were always sabotaging themselves. I found out later it was the voices that were doing that. They foster isolation. They don't want the person around family. They don't want them around friends. They don't want them hanging out with anybody. They want them completely isolated in their bedrooms alone, listening to their crap all the time. Mm -hmm. And you talk to any pay, any any family who has a schizophrenic pay, um, sibling, mm -hmm. and it's like all they they drive the family nuts, and then they go seal themselves in their room, and the family goes, "Yeah, thank God they're God. Let them let them stay in there. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sick of dealing with them. That's the worst thing they can do." Is, is let them stay in there with the voices by themselves. They need to keep them occupied with something productive. Mm -hmm. You know, 
these things that they they demand the attention of their victims. They will they will not be ignored. They consistently maneuver for increased control. They're constantly battling the person for control. They're telling the patient to do this, do that. Uh, don't listen to this person. Uh, this person's stabbing you in the back. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're constantly pushing for more control. And the more control they take, the worse the patient gets. You know, and I've seen patients where they'd completely taken them over, and they were very dangerous. Mm. You know, a lot of these murders you see where, where psychotic people just go in and, and just mow everybody down in a shopping center—that's them. That's these voices that they, they've take, completely taken control of people. You know, they gaslight the patient. Um, there, there was one one patient I remember that, that they told him he had murdered somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was so confused. He wasn't sure whether he had or not. So he's like, well, should I go turn myself into the police? But if he did that and he hadn't murdered somebody, then they would know he was crazy and they'd send him to the loony bin. Mm. You know, but if, but if, uh, well, if he did murder somebody, you know, they were, the, the police were looking for him. So he was in a catch-22. Every time he saw a cop car, he'd freak out. They're looking for him. And the voices would go, yeah, they're looking for you. You better go hide somewhere. You know, so they were constantly milking him. Yeah. And and once they get a prisoner in prison, they get a psychotic prisoner in prison. It's a hog's trough in there. Oh, mm. I bet. They, they rule the place. Yeah. These mm. negative entities, they rule the place. No good deed will go unpunished in a prison. You know, believe me, I've tried it. You know, manipulating perception. They will manipulate the, how the person perceives what's going on around them. So if they're walking down the sidewalk and some people are laughing at a joke on off to the side, the voices will say, they're laughing at you. Yeah. You know, or this guy's watching you, or this guy's looking at you, or or somebody's following you. They, they will manipulate perception. They they have complete access to the schizophrenic's memory. So they know stuff that the guy's forgotten. I know patients where they had borrowed a dime uh 20 years ago and they never paid it back. The voices knew that and they'd come up and they they put it in his face. You did this. Remember when you did that? Mm. They demand that the victim not tell anybody else about their presence. So they don't want the, the, the psychotic patient telling anybody about the voices. And they will punish them if they do. They, they can create felt pain. Mm. You know, they, can, they can drive the person nuts. They can, they can get very loud and very nasty. Um, they're consummate liars. Mm. You can't believe anything they say. You know, so Sherry, my co-author, uh, the book, she came up with what they call, she calls the that's a lie program is you just, everything they say, that's a, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie that you can't believe anything they say. You can't make any deals with them because they lie about everything. You can't trust anything they say. You know, they consistently steer the patient away from any, anything that might generate joy. They don't watch want them watching or doing anything that they they like to do. Mm-hmm. They don't want them to feel any kind of pleasure. They don't want them to feel happy. They'll do anything they can to to screw that up. They'll short circuit reason. They'll get them to do things that are totally unreasonable. They'll get them to react in a knee jerk manner to get them in trouble. Well, they want them to be bored because if they're bored, then they can get in and take over. Mm-hmm. Um, they try to pass themselves off as the thoughts of the victim. That's their biggest trick is they make the victim think that 
that those thoughts are theirs. And I've, I've had patient after patient ask them, who are you? What are you? Guess what their response was? I don't know. We are you. Well. That's what they tell them. We are you. Plural. They, they foster selective forgetting. So, you know, you tell a patient to take his medicines or do this or do that. They don't write down what they did. That They forget it immediately. Mm. You, you try to talk to them. They don't remember it. Mm. They, they will destroy any vestige of positive self-concept. Um, they'll try to pull, pull their victim away from consensual reality, the reality we all function in, and, and move them into this alternate negative reality. Uh, they use confusion as a as a way of instilling negative suggestions, just like the hypnotists do. Mm -hmm. You know, they cause all this confusion, and then they tell them, they give them an out. You know, oh, yeah, they're all confused. What should I do? What should I do? Oh, this is what you do. Oh, okay, I'll go do that. You know, it's the same thing. I, I, the voices, and they hate them. Well, we got lost again. Are you there? You glitched there for a second. Are you back? What's it? What's it? You went, went down for a while. Yeah. Yeah, you're back. Yeah, I'm, yep, I'm welcome back. <laughs> but, you know, bottom line is the voices aren't hallucinations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They run these patterns. And anybody can see that hide them. You can see them for, for yourself. Get the list off the internet, off my website. They are there for everybody to see. Oh, boo! Questionable internet. Yeah, they completely they, knocked off I, that time. I know, <laughs> crazy. They, they don't like what we're doing. They don't like it. Tough. We're gonna we're gonna do it anyway. We have persistence. Yeah, that's that, that's my opinion. Yes. You want me to go get some of those conversations? I that, can go. I, I think I fantastic. know where they're at. Well, maybe at this point, if you can tell the listeners or viewers where they can find your work online and where they can get that book. Well, they can get it at uh, our website at uh, jerrymarsinski.com. Okay. They can they can order it over. Um, well, there's a place to order it there. Okay. Uh, where they send it. You can also get it on Amazon. It's been translated into German, French, um, Spanish. Fantastic. And French. And what else? Let me German, French, Spanish, and one more. I don't remember the other one. <laughs> <laughs> they probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast anyway, unless they also know English, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in English. Cool. Fantastic. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with us about all of this fantastic work that you've been doing. And I really, really appreciate it. It's about time that somebody who comes from the field of study that you have immersed, been immersed in most of your life, or at least swam within the confines of, uh, has recognized that there is a spiritual dimension to our existence and indeed to a lot of the ailments that we usually attribute to some chemical imbalance or some sort of physical malady or something genetic uh, and has recognized it as actually something that's not the fault of the, of the victim, but 
uh, that victim is more of an uh, from an outside entity as opposed to some sort of physical, you know, anomaly or something like that, which I think really recasts everything in a completely different context, which makes a lot more sense to me, actually. So kudos to well, you. Well, I have I have people I can bring on with me in the future. I mean, one lady who's a she's a a, a nurse who worked. Uh, did an internship on the psych ward. She could actually see these things. She oh, was wow. able to see spirits from a young age, mm. but she, she, she couldn't tell anybody, mm -hmm. you know, so she had to keep it quiet to herself, but she did an internship on a psych ward. She could actually see what these things looked like and mm -hmm. how they acted. Wow. Uh, she also worked in a, um, a hospice mm. and, and she could see the spirits leave people and, mm. and, and talk to them and, She's a very interesting lady. There's a, uh, another guy who, he's a, a mechanical engineer who, he had a uh, psychotic break when he was in, younger. Mm -hmm. And he was sent to a psychiatric hospital. They filled him full of meds, gave him electroshock treatments. Mm. And he could, he could see and talk to these things also. Wow. So wow. He's, he's also willing to affirm everything that I said about these sure. things. Sure. Yeah, we'd love to have them on. Absolutely. Either... either forward them uh for forward their info to us and i can contact them or if you want to get hold of them and we can all communicate together and work some some time to come on that'd be fantastic it would be absolutely amazing what yeah. an honor and a pleasure it has been to speak to you jerry yes. i am so <laughs> I really well, it, I the honor and pleasure i'd like to watch, watch, watch. i've really because i'm in the thick of this right now so you you have given me some hope for my future career because it is very it's very challenging for me because i push back against all of the uh, indoctrination that I am faced with in my textbooks and fellow classmates. I'm 55, and so I'm not. I'm not a 20 year old that you can. That's malleable. That that is really absorbing all of the these texts and thinking that it's gospel. I resist all of it. And well, well let, let me give you a word of warning. Don't fight with them because you won't make it through. It's been, yeah. I'm a straight A student and you would be surprised how many of my professors write me privately and say, thank God you're in this class because you're oh, really, really forcing the other students to think because I, I am not someone that just tries to toe the line just to get through. So I, and I have a lot of life experience. So when I read something, especially about human sexuality, that is not consistent with reality, I will say, this isn't real. And the way that you are positing this or, or the way this, this subject is being approached is completely erroneous thinking. This is not real world stuff. So You'd be oh, surprised. Boy, that's, not, that's that's not been my experience. With yeah. These guys. Well, it's 2023. You know, so, so, There's a... so be, be be careful because you're still going to need that master's degree. Yes. To get out and and access a clinical population. Yes, and I right you know, now I'm they, at. They want you to have those letters behind your yep. name before they'll let you into this inner sanctum. Yeah, and right now I am shopping. Uh, grad schools, and I'm in. I'm doing research as an undergrad, and so I'm. I'm perfectly position positioned to take my education to the next step and the next level. Um, but you're right. You know, I go into these situations. I'm like, how far should I push this? 
but I've I've found some great professors who have championed my perspective. So you're 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 lucky. You get up into a PhD program, they'll eat you alive for doing that. Yeah. At least that's um, my experience. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting ride for sure. But again, we thank you and we really invite you back and would love to have you back. That would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And get a, if you want to get a hold of those people and, and ask them and we can, again, start yes. a thread and a conversation and talk about when might be a good time to do that. We'd totally be open to that. Okay. Okay. Let me, if, let me make a note of it. If, sure. If, if you don't hear from me, get back in touch with me. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Sure. I, I, just, I got so much stuff going on. It's incredible. And if texting or calling or whatever is easier, I can send you our phone number and uh, you, we can get a hold of each other that way so it doesn't get lost in the email uh, pile that comes into, I'm sure, all of our inboxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's relentless. It never ends. Okay. I'll make a note of it. Fantastic. And uh, Okay. And... Hopefully we'll see you guys again sometime. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll make Most it okay. definitely. definitely make it happen. And if I could ask you to leave your browser window open, I have this set up to record locally. So uh -huh. all these glitches that we've been experiencing shouldn't show up in these final recordings because it's recording directly from your computer and and uh, streaming it to a, a, a server where I can download it later, the files directly recorded. from. So sometimes it lags a little bit at the end of the, the episode. So maybe just keep your browser open until it says it's all done and then you can shut it down if you wouldn't. Okay. You, okay, cool. Well, thank you so much, Terry. It's been a blast. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll definitely do it again with some of the people that you've been talking about. And I'll let okay, you... Okay, send, send me a link when you have one. Oh, Absolutely. for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. All right. Alrighty. We send you many okay. blessings. All right. All right. Thank Take you care, guys Jared. for having me. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I was so very excited for this interview, and it did not disappoint. Yeah. You seemed like you were a little overwhelmed at one point, but in a good way. I don't know. It was weird. It was like my energy just, I was focused so intensely focused on what was happening. I felt like I was being hypnotized or something. Like I started to fall asleep, but I don't know where that came from. It was just very well, extremely intense. Well, he said that he was experiencing low energy when, before we pressed record. So maybe you were empathizing with something. Yeah, I could have been picking up on some of that, but you know, I am just absolutely blown away and I definitely want to learn this John Mace energy system. That sounds so right up my alley and, and like something that I could add to my, my um, treatment protocol for people. And I like the idea of it being like a short-term thing. I think one thing... To remember in Jerry's case is that Jerry was in school decades ago, and so he is approaching his uh, perception about academia from, based on that time period and what was going on in that time period. Uh, I think that there has been, I, I don't want to be so bold to say a new guard, because there is still so much of this stuff being um, entrenched in psychology. 
and definitely in psychiatry. But I also think that there are avenues that are pivoting away from this and moving away from uh, just strictly seeing people as a diagnosis and using the DSM-5 as a, as a method to treat. So I actually feel very hopeful and I have been so pleasantly surprised. And a lot of this probably has to do with the fact that I'm a McNair scholar. So I have a different support system as far as uh, the next steps, getting into grad school, uh, going for a PhD. I have people that are, are supporting my goal and my desire and know that I don't buy into uh, the pharmaceutical industry as a as a method of treating yeah well that shouldn't enter into a psychologist's purview anyway because they don't deal with drugs they don't prescribe drugs but that doesn't mean that the establishment or the um, funder of a lot of these textbooks and a lot of the information that filters down through these curriculums aren't somehow pushed by that but that you know that, that that's just a launching point it doesn't mean that that necessarily has to permeate every syllable that comes out of these systems i'm i'm just i'm just as you know <laughs> uh suspicious of of any establishment any system um including the academic system but i'm i so i'm interested to see what you do with all this as you uh, work your way through the tributaries of academia. Um, well, and I, I think that I'm not going, you know, pharmaceuticals do play a part in psychology because you're talking about people. So patients come in that are already on pharmaceuticals yeah. and they already have, they've doctor shopped, they have three or four shrinks that they've already been to. They have a general practitioner that they go to who will uh, prescribe meds. And so it's not just the psychiatry world that is permeating and reaching its, you know, octopus tentacles into uh, people's psyches and into their lives. When you go into psychology and you're dealing with someone who has been in treatment previously or maybe has been, you know, hospitalized or been in rehab or, or whatever institution, uh, it's possible that their attitude about pharmaceuticals is the thing to overcome. It's not necessarily that there's some finger wagging, you know, overlord that's there. It's that that's happened before. And someone has said, oh, this is going to make you better. And so if people haven't had good experiences taking meds and they feel numbed out by them or they feel dulled or that they don't work, then some of those people may be more open to other uh, modalities than just continuing on the drug route because the drug route hasn't worked. So I think some people just get frustrated and they're like, okay, I don't want to do, I don't want to take any more medicine anymore because it makes me sleepy or it makes me fat or it makes me not feel good or, yeah. you know, all of the other side effects of that. So they will start going into more of a physical 
a treatment pr- plan like, okay, um, physical exercise or looking at diet or meditation or other things. So I think that's what I was trying to say to Jerry is that what was happening 40 years ago is not where we're at today. So there's a broader um, scope that people are looking at and there's more of a spectrum of treatments that people are looking at that aren't just pharma based. I've heard him on podcasts with that nurse that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And those are, she's got some pretty wild experiences. Um, especially since she does have the ability to see some of these entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, when he brought that up, I was like, Oh yeah, I for- completely <laughs> forgot when I was researching this. Uh, when I was researching Jerry, I listened to a couple of those conversations and they were really compelling and fascinating. So I look forward to having her on. I'm not sure if I listened to the other guy or not, but sorry to shift gears, but I don't know any more else to say about that. That world is no. completely alien yeah. to me. I, I, purposely. I think what I, what I was trying to kind of get across to him is that we can't paint with these broad brushes and say everyone is anything because that's not how uh, any any type of industry works is that you're always going to have people who are interested in doing things maybe in a more organic way or more holistic way and i think that there's a rising of that and carl rogers <laughs> carl rogers was part of mk ultra he was actually I don't remember working how he was brought up. He was working with the CIA. <laughs> um he was a he's the man who he was the uh doctor who started group therapy and mm-hmm. he's the one who does mirroring who says that you know the patient says something and then you mirror back what they've said. So what I hear you saying is dot dot dot. Um and so I just found that interesting that Jerry brought up Carl Rogers, because he's been, he's on the list, the um, Graham Hancock list of um, agents. Graham Hancock list. Graham Hancock made a list of all of the institutions that were involved in MKUltra, and Carl right. Rogers' name was on that list. Gotcha. <laughs> All righty. On that note. <laughs> I, I don't have anything to say to that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I thought it was a great conversation. I'm, I'm, as I said in a few times in the conversation, I'm very compelled by the aspect that he brought, that he discovered that just shows how inept uh, many previous people who have dealt with schizophrenics have handled the situation to not even have considered that, at least publicly and on paper, mm-hmm. uh, that that's a possibility that something like that could occur, which doesn't surprise me at all because, you know, many uh, realms of our society are governed by materialism that would even consider uh, taking something like that into account. So it took somebody like Jerry, who didn't give a flying fuck about what anybody thought and was just paying attention to these experiences and all the overlaps that were happening between all these different patients or prisoners and uh, made that connection that after having been made seems very obvious. So kudos to him for that. Well, I think 
It's an important aspect of this to remember is that uh, psychiatry is not, as he said, about spirituality, which means it's also not about religion. So uh, I know we've gotten into these discussions before with Emily, anytime we've talked about um, these other energies, and I've said, you know, demonic possession. Mm-hmm. And uh, Emily has stated that that is coming from like the religious template. And what I'm saying is that with or without religion, demons exist. Well, what a demon is exists, yeah. A demon is just one name for... It's a semantic. Yeah, So I'm talking about, I use the term demon because it's an ancient term that has been used for thousands and thousands of years to describe this force. Uh, So what's interesting about the whole uh, psychiatry world is that what he's saying, and again, I try to play devil's advocate in these situations and say, okay, well, why would a psychiatrist not be open to uh, demonic possession when, you know, priests do uh, exorcisms and this is something that has been, um, you know, for quite literally hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years, these are things that have been documented and explored where, um, priests or or other men in in the religious world have worked to remove these energies from people. So what what I'm saying is that if you have 10,000, I mean that's a small town. That's a medium-sized town. Imagine trying to do case studies and case work for 10,000 people it just becomes like a mill or a machine. And so if you're a psychiatrist and you have a caseload of 20 people a day, 30 people a day, how many, how many people are these people actually seeing in a day? How much energy and attention are they going to be able to give each one of these people? Of course, they're not going to have a moment to pause to go, okay, this is, there's some other spiritual element here. This is not just a hallucina- hallucination. They just put it under the hallucination umbrella because that's easier than trying to actually treat each individual person as an individual and see them and and look at the case for a whole life like instead of just like okay this moment this person's hearing voices that's what they are boom next yeah well i think that's the case sure but what makes that easy to do is i think rooted in materialism because exactly it's, it's just the it's the same thing that that people people attribute to to drug experiences when they're hallucinating as opposed to experiencing some objective reality that they have gained access to by certain states of mind, altered states of being. Um, it's the same, the same dynamic, you know, like, well, that doesn't fit into something that I can measure and something that's in my books here. So we're just going to call that hallucination. That's right. like, that's like what you call the boundary that you don't believe anything. You don't right. give anything credit beyond Right. Yeah. And but that again, that's old guard thinking. That's not what's happening right now in psychiatry or psychology when it comes to um, using psychedelics 
in any type of treatment protocol. But I think that the, 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 the word guard is still going to be there. It's just the new guard. And the new guard someday will be the old guard. Uh, I think it's tricky to have guards um, of realms uh, that, um, you know, it, it, I think minds might be opening. Hopefully the curriculum of these schools is getting more open-minded. Um, but they still at some point or another up the the food chain have to answer to somebody um and there has to be some sort of baseline uh where all this stuff is coming from and i'm not sure that i trust and this is just me i'm not i'm not saying that this is the case for everybody or it's even the case besides my subjective way of looking at it but um i think when you're when you're teaching within the, under the umbrella of a, of an academic system, inevitably, and I could be totally wrong. You, you can, there's still, no matter how wide the boundary is, there is still a boundary where if you go beyond that, it's something that isn't either recognized or, or give, given credit or, um, isn't believed to be credible, uh, do you, I mean, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I understand and do I don't that agree because I'm that, in that world. Yeah. So but, I, I see what I think it's one thing if you're a 20-year-old. It's another thing if you're a 55-year-old woman who's going into that world who has more life experience. So the boundaries that I'm pushing are knocking that down. <laughs> but you you are always talking about walking the tight wire and that you know yeah. that you are pushing against something and like yeah. there shouldn't be something to push against you should right, have all the room in the it, world it's the other students i'm pushing against it's the woke agenda it's the blue-haired land whale that i'm pushing against i wish yeah um uh but there is in one case a teacher that you said that about for sure yeah yeah absolutely mm -hmm. but i think that's one out of a hundred that i've had so far so i think that's a pretty good good statistic good deal um but 60 years ago there was no positive psychology being taught at a midwestern university so again i think what what um embeds these ideas is people like you, like Jerry, thinking that there's no progress, there's no movement, there's no, like, this is the way it is, and that this is why the system is broken. I think what makes things change is that people go into these situations and they say, this hasn't worked, this doesn't work, let's try something else and let's see if people are open to that. They wouldn't be having a positive psychology class or degree if people weren't interested in taking those classes. First and foremost, I did not say it's not moving and it's not getting better. I said, even though the circle might be getting better, there's still a boundary there. Right. Um, and and it's interesting that there has to be something called positive psychology. <laughs> what is all the rest of it? Negative psychology? I mean, that's just an interesting observation. Cognitive. Cognitive. Um, there's lot. There's many different focuses in psychology. Mm -hmm. Neural. There's you know 
there's lots of I'm not going to sit here because we have stuff to do, but <laughs> I, mean, I, I can, have to go to the store and get I celery. Can, I can send you, or I can show you the curriculum, and you can see all the. No, different... you don't have to prove any. I don't care that much. Yeah. I'm just I'm just saying. I just made that observation because yeah. I never thought about. I never heard you say positive psychology before. So, yeah, yeah, that's all. Well, we talked about uh, the potential of me going to Naropa and Buddhist and studying Buddhist psychology. So, there's mm -hmm. another version of it that wasn't around when Jerry was in school. Woke Ropa, yes. I hope that they're not that way. I hope that's a <laughs> that's a. <laughs> you went to Wogropa, so I didn't go to Naropa. No, didn't you go to some Rinpoche thing there? Had nothing to do with Naropa. I mean, they were all under the umbrella of Shambhala, but it wasn't. Yeah. No, uh, no, it had nothing to do with Naropa. Nothing at all. It wasn't no. there on the campus. You said you've been no. on the campus. I have been on the campus just to visit it and check it out. Yeah, okay. I for years and years and years wanted to go to Naropa. And then I even was following them on Instagram. And so it was just the posts from the last three or four years that yeah. was just like, this has nothing to do with Buddhism, dude. Like you're, you're, you're identifying with your worldly identity and that's not, you're missing the point. So I found that discouraging, but yeah. I'm sure, I hope that that's only one small fragment of Naropa because Naropa has a lot of promise. All righty. There we go. That's our that's our pitch gonna, for that's our pitch for Naropa. I'm gonna get it when we get off the air. <laughs> no, come on. You're gonna kick my booty. No, no, no. Okay, it's all good. It's okay. all good. All right. Well, we've been going on for almost twenty minutes. I know. Uh, thank you all for listening. Hopefully, um, yeah, this enlightened you on something that you weren't familiar with before. Uh, Yes. Thank you to, I don't remember who brought it up in the meetup, uh, mentioned Jerry, because uh, Cherry Marzinski. Um, who was it? Do you remember? Was it David? It could have been David, but we're not supposed to say. Yeah. Or Leela. Leela might have I think known. That, I, think there's a few, I think there's a few people who brought yeah. it up. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys for yeah, doing that. It's come up more than once. Yeah. We love to have people put on our radar that I, I was not aware of this person at all. So, yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. So keep it up. You can do that by writing us at the Melt Podcast at protonmail.com or hunter muse at protonmail.com. Look at you, gorgeous person. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. We love you. Fantastic stuff coming your way. And yeah. um, keep keep listening if it applies to your life. Hopefully, you get something positive from it. And we have lots of books. So if you guys want a book, let us know. Send us an email and uh, we'll send you a picture of the books we've got and uh, we'll get you out a book. All right. Thank you all. Farewell.
Thanks so much for making it this far. If you've liked what you've heard and are thus inspired to contribute to the well-being of the melt, there are a few easy ways to do that. The most tangible being financially, which can be achieved by clicking the Locals or Patreon link in the episode notes, and then you will be led through the process of starting your monthly subscription for a mere $5 a month. This will give you access to exclusive episodes, full-length episodes, and you can participate in our monthly Melt Meetups, where we can congregate together as a community and often get a chance to chat with some of our guests more intimately. Another way to help out would be to go to wherever it is that you listen to The Melt and leave a favorable review or rating. You can also spread the word via sharing or recommendation to friends and family, either in person or virtually. And lastly, if none of those options are readily available or appealing to you, simply send your positive thoughts and intentions. In an interconnected and quantumly entangled multiverse, these also go a long way. Thank you.